0: Well, good morning, it's good to see all of you in God's house this morning. Psalm 113 says, Praise the Lord. Praise all servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised We want to do that this morning of number 10 A familiar hymn to many of you, I'm sure O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made How great thou art, how great thou art We'll stand up and sing all of number 10 Would you join us as we praise the Lord today Number 10, how great thou art Let's stand and sing Thank you. That dwelleth in love Dwelleth in God And God in him Yea I have loved thee With an everlasting love Therefore with loving kindness Have I drawn thee Page 23 God is so good Let's sing it together
1: Savior, sacrifice, pay for all my sins, so in my suffering, I look to the cross again. No need, no want, no trial, no pain, can compare to this,
0: the wrath
1: of God was meant for me, was all Grace. In my darkest hour Your presence is my peace In my days of joy Your grace carries me Jesus Please for me My heart is filled with faith in you here it Calvary on my knees.
0: Amen. He bore the wrath. We know the grace. Take your Bible, please, and open to first John chapter three this morning, please. First John chapter three. A missionary recruit was asked one time how he was getting along. He had only been in his new country for a short time when the question was asked. And so he said that he was doing, you know, everything was going along fine and he only had two problems, only two problems. He said the first was that he couldn't stand his fellow missionaries. And the second was he couldn't get along with the national Christians. But otherwise, everything was fine. Well, (laughs) no, it wasn't. It was not fine. As one author said, love is the circulatory system of the church. If the arteries of love get clogged, the church is in danger of spiritual cardiac Arrest. And you know what? He's right. You see, love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is a proof that we are really born again. It's a proof that we really do know the Lord Jesus Christ. First John three fourteen, we'll look at it in a moment, says we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And so love is a distinguishing mark. Of the Christian love for brothers and sisters in Christ. It proves that we truly are born again. Francis Schaeffer, that great scholar from yesteryear, says this about Jesus. At the close of his ministry, Jesus looks forward to his death on the cross, the open tomb and the ascension. Knowing that he's about to leave, Jesus prepares his disciples for what is to come. It is here that he makes clear what will be the distinguishing mark of the Christian in John thirteen thirty two to 35, Jesus says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And listen to what he says there by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we understand this one that love for the brethren, love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, it not only shows us and proves to us that we know the Lord Jesus, it also shows other people that we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the question. What does this love look like? I mean, in all honesty, beloved, we love everything, don't we? We love pizza. We love baseball. We love donuts. We love our kids. We love our jobs. Maybe we love flowers. We love football. We love chocolate. We love our spouses. We love our church and we love Jesus. Amen. We love those things. But are all these loves the same? I certainly hope not. I hope you love your wife more than football Uh, Fred Lowry tells a story about when the legendary coach Bobby Bowden Gave a talk at their church And Bowden said that at one time or another uh, Every coach gets asked the same terrible question by his wife And the question is this Do you love me more than football? So the coach's wife looks at her husband and says Do you love me more than football? And he said that when Bowden's wife asked him the question, Bowden said, college or pro? (laughs) Love one another. What does it look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want you to look here in 1 John chapter 3 again. We pick up our, our, our study here at verse 11. And while you're finding, if you haven't found it yet, I want to kind of give you some information right up front about what we're going to study this morning. In these verses we're going to look at today, we find a picture of what love looks like and what the Christian life should look like. And and John gives us two main examples here. And the first example is the opposite of love. It's what love does not look like. You know, sometimes it's helpful when you're trying to understand something, a word, a concept or whatever. it's, It's helpful to understand what it is not. And so you say, well, this doesn't mean this. So you're understanding that's not part of it. And that's what he's going to do here. We're going to show you what love does not look like. And then we'll show an example of what love does look like. Let's read it. And I think it'll be real clear what I'm saying here. You'll see right away what I'm talking about. Look there in 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. We'll read down through verse 18. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning... That we should love one another Not as Cain Who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil And his brothers righteous Do not marvel my brethren If the world hates you We know that we have passed from death to life Because we love the brethren He who does not love his brother Abides in death Whoever hates his brother Is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue but in deed and in truth. Now, let me ask you, did you spot the two examples? The bad example was, does anybody want to take a guess? Cain. And the good example, the greatest example is who? Jesus Christ. So we have a bad example in Cain and the great and good example in Christ. Now, I point out, may I point out something very significant about those two people for a moment? Did you see there where you're reminded again of the fact that Cain takes life, but Christ gives life? And I don't know if you caught this as well. If you notice, we're looking here. One of these verses is 1 John Three sixteen. Now, lots of people know John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that verse and that theme. But did you notice the very same theme is in 1 John, chapter three and verse sixteen? Notice what it says. By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, let's look at the bad example first. This is a picture of what love does not look like. Cain. Now, this idea of loving one another was not a new thing to them. It's not new to us. It's not even new in the book of First John. Uh, we, we read here, of course, in First John 3.11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We've already looked at 1 John 2, 9-11. through He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so this is not a new theme to them. It's not a new theme to the letter. We're supposed to love one another. And we notice the very first three words in verse 12, after he says love one another, he says what? The first three words, not as Cain, <laughs> not, not as Cain. Now, here's the question. Who was Cain? Well, you've got to go back to the Old Testament. I want you to put your finger in First John and hold your place there and turn back to Genesis chapter 4. And I want to get our bearings about this character named Cain. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to find out as we get to Genesis chapter 4 be reminded that Cain was the first baby born into our world. You have Adam and Eve and then they uh, give birth to a boy named Cain. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve's wife and she conceived and bore Cain and said I have acquired a man from the Lord. I love that. Don't you? Uh, Some of you ladies that do next time I visit you uh, When you've had a baby to say, I've acquired a man of the Lord And there you go, that's what it's biblical, isn't it? But he had a brother that came next And the brother's name was, do you remember? Abel, you have Cain and Abel Look at verse 2 Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel Then we're told, now Abel was a keeper of sheep But Cain was a tiller of the ground So you have a shepherd and a farmer, if you will Verse 3 And in the process of time, it came to pass That Cain Brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very what? Very angry in his countenance fell. And I want you to see the grace of God here. God deals with him. Verse 6. Tries to help him. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Be careful, Cain. Sin lying at the door, and it desires is for you, but you should rule over it. Then you come to verse eight. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Now, keep your finger there, but let me just stop for a moment. Our theme today is loving one another, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, loving the brethren. Keep that in mind and look at verse nine. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, flip back to first John. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. First John three twelve. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. You see, Cain tried to come in his own way to the Lord. The Lord has laid it out. And he tried to bring the works of his hands and the fruit of the ground that he labored over, and that was not the proper way to come. And Abel comes the right way, brings a sacrifice. And we see the blood, and we see a sacrifice, we see a picture of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have Cain who says who is of the wicked one. Now who's the wicked one? Well, obviously he's talking about Satan. He's talking about Lucifer here, and it's interesting when you listen to what John wrote in his uh, gospel. Listen to John 8:44. He says this, "You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do." Listen, He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand to the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of it from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so it says here in 1 John 3, 12, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, that is Satan, and murdered his brother. And his father's a murderer, if you will, Satan. And he says here, listen, don't be like Cain. Now, why did Cain kill Abel? Well, it tells us here, because his brother's deeds were righteous, his were evil. And so you have envy here, first of all. And he's envious because his brother's accepted and he's not. But God says, listen, you're right, Cain, and you come, and, and you don't let sin overtake you here. But this envy then turns to hatred. And then hatred turns to what? Actual killing and murder. Now, certainly, this is not what love looks like. This is not the poster child for love your brother and sister in Christ. This is the opposite. Don't do this. And then in verse 13 of 1 John 3, you can leave Genesis 4 now. 1 John 3, it seems maybe a little bit out of place. He talks about Cain killing Abel. And then he says in the very next verse, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. And maybe you think, thinking, well, why is that? The... Listen, it's not out of place. It's just right. It's God's word. Because here's what the point is. Just as Abel's righteousness caused Cain to hate him, Our righteous living in this world is going to cause other people to look upon us with hatred and envy. In other words, what I'm saying is this. As a child of God, your very presence can cause conviction in people's life. Now, I think I see this more as a pastor, maybe than maybe some of you do. For whatever reason, if the pastor comes around, people get convicted sometimes, especially if they come to church. And I can walk in a room. And say, oh, preacher, oh, I did not see you. Oh, I'm sorry, I not just Not because I'm so great, not because I'm so special. I'm a sinner saved by grace, but it's because of who I represent. And in my very presence as a pastor, people feel bad. They say, I haven't been to church in three months. Well, don't tell me. Tell God. People confess to me, I won't be here next week. Well, don't tell me. Tell God. You know. But the point is this, if you live a righteous life, your life, your very presence can be very convicting to people. In other words, not because you're so great either, but because of who you have in you, because you're a child of God. And if you're seeking to live a righteous, Christ-like life, if you're seeking to do right and you're radiating the love of God in your life. Other people don't like that. It makes them uncomfortable. It makes them feel very self-conscious. It makes them begin to realize that they're dealing with some things in their own life that are not right. Right? And, and here's the point here that uh, just as Cain hated Abel because Abel was righteous, so the world will at times hate us, and people will hate us and look upon us in a very despiteful well, way because we seek to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't marvel about that. Don't be all up in the arms and think, and just be amazed by that. There's been a big story going around, I've seen it on the internet and so forth about these two brothers that are Christians, and HGTV rejected them, and then SunTrust rejected them, and so forth. Marvel not! I'm not surprised by that. We talked about it in our adult Sunday school class up here today. Uh, Marvel not, man! they killed our master. They killed our savior. They're not rolling out the red carpet for us. Don't be surprised when you face opposition and hatred and all this. Then he comes back. Verse 15. We're to love the brethren. And if we don't love them, we're not born again. 1 John 3.15. Whoever hates his brother... Is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's pretty strong. He didn't say whoever takes his brother's life is a murderer. He said whoever hates his brother is a murderer. It reminds you of what Lord Jesus did in Matthew chapter 5. He said things like, you know, well, uh, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, whoever looks upon a woman with lust has committed adultery already in his heart. He says in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, rock us, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. And so we know that murder doesn't begin just out of the blue. It begins with our heart, doesn't it? And the hatred and the envy and all. And it grows to that. And then he says in 1 John 3, 15, that we know that no murderer has eternal life. Now listen, that does not mean that a murderer cannot be saved. That's not what it means. God will forgive all sin if you'll place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He forgives murderers and rapists and child molesters and all those things. Those people still have to deal with the consequences of their sin here. But they can be forgiven and set free and have eternal life. It's not saying you can't be saved if you're a murderer. The idea here is an ongoing lifestyle of murder. And, and, and that murder can be murder whether it's murdering with our thoughts, our words, or actual killing somebody. Someone like that who lives a lifestyle of murder and hatred and killing others with words, thoughts, deeds, or actual actions, they are not born again. They are not a child of God. Because if we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He gives us a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now listen, it's not a perfect love. Why? <laughs> because we mess things up. Because we get carnal. Because we choose to sin from time to time. We get in the flesh, as I like to say it. We sin. We don't always love as we ought to love. But we still love. And when we do those things we ought not to do, God, the Holy Spirit, deals with us, doesn't He? He convicts us and molds us and shapes us and He disciplines us to get things right in our life. But there is still a love. But listen, one who goes on and on and on without a love for the brethren... They do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. It says very clearly there, verse 15, and other places here as well. Now, I was reminded this past week that this love for the brethren, it it crosses cultural and national and, and language barriers. It doesn't care about race and looks and background or anything As believers, we are one in Christ. At the pastor's conference I attended this past week in the Cleveland area, our three main speakers, one was a Scottishman, one was an Irishman, and one was an Englishman. I had to pay close attention at times to follow. I had a meal. We would sit with different people. The meals I sat with brothers from Texas, Colorado, Tennessee, California, and even Norway. There were people from all over the place. And this was not a Southern Baptist convention, mind you. So many different churches Probably many different denominations But one person united us And his name is Jesus Christ And we were one in Christ And oh the joy of lifting up Your voices in praise With brothers from all over From all over backgrounds And all over the place It was a small taste of heaven Where we are all brought together and united and don't get me wrong Don't get me wrong I'm glad God straightened me out And made me a Baptist Okay? <laughs> But there are many, 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 many people with other labels today who love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We remember that. And we're going to spend eternity with them in heaven. And we must always remember that. Well, we know what love does not look like. Cain is not a picture of love your brother. Now, it might be a vivid picture of what the reality is at times, but it's not a picture of. Of love your brother. So, what does love look like? Well, we find it here. Love looks like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And I'm going to submit to you the words we're about to read here again are not abstract, they're not just some wonderful sounding nouns and verbs and sentences that are pieced together. They're a picture of true Christianity, they're a mark of a true believer. Now, listen, we don't do them to obtain salvation. It's impossible to work for salvation. The Bible is very clear. You're saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works that anyone should boast. You can't work enough. You can't do enough. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. We're saved by grace through faith. So we're not doing this to get saved. That's impossible. We do this because we're already saved. We've obtained salvation as we placed our faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so out of that life flows a christ like love. So I want to give you very quickly three observations, a story, and then we're done. OK, hang with it to the end. Three observations. Number one, I want you to notice this love we're talking about here is a sacrificial love, a sacrificial love. Look at verse 16. By this, we know love. Now, we've experienced it. We know it. We know what it looks like because he laid down his life for us. Who is that? Jesus Christ, right? And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Notice this love is sacrificial. If need be, we would lay our life down. We would give up our life for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now let's be honest about it. God does not call, it seems this way, that God does not call the majority of us to literally do it. That is, to literally sacrifice our life. Some He does. But we should be willing. I couldn't help but to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ who are laboring this morning in very difficult places. I'm not talking about hard places like, you know, people snicker at you if you go to Sunday school. I'm talking about places where people kill you if you go to Sunday school. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are laboring in great harm and danger today in the face of that day in and day out. And those that are willing to go and give their life literally for their brothers And for the gospel. And so our love is to be a sacrificial love. And The sad thing is we have brothers and sisters who will do that. And yet we have a hard time even just serving one another and caring for one another and even giving five minutes for one another. But this kind of love that we're supposed to be giving is a sacrificial love where I lay down my life for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 17, we notice second observation. This love is very practical. Verse 17 says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now, where it talks about the world's goods there, it's not talking about just huge amount of riches. It's talking about the necessities of life. Okay, this world's goods. I have food. I have clothing. I have shelter. And the idea here is this. If I see that my brother or sister has a need, a true need. I'm not talking about they need $100 to go buy a new watch. I'm not talking about that. I mean a true need. They need food. They need clothing. They need shelter. They need whatever it is. I see that need and I know about it. It says very clearly, whoever has this world's goods, the necessities of life, sees his brother in need. So I know about the need. You know, sometimes we don't know. But we know about the need. And it says that I shut up my heart from him. Hmm. the idea of closing the door and locking it. It's the idea of shutting them out. It's the idea, no, I won't help you. He says there, how does the love of God abide in him? How many times, beloved, I know this is convicting, but it's the truth. How many times do we know about needs and yet we're greedy and selfish and we let other people go without I'm not just saying all this to make us feel guilty, by the way. We need to come to grips with this. Because it says we're supposed to love the brethren. And if there's a true need and, and we have the resources to help meet that need, we should do it. Which brings us to the third observation. Not only is love sacrificial and practical, it's also active. Look at verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, this kind of love is more than just talking. That doesn't mean you shouldn't say a kind word. You ought to use kind words. You ought to encourage with your mouth. But it goes beyond that. Uh, listen to what James says in James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. I'm to write that in the margin. It fits so nicely. James 2, 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I'm so sorry you have these needs. Be warm, be filled, be blessed. But yet we do nothing. How many times do we pray for needs to be met in somebody else's life when in reality God wants us to meet the need? We use prayer sometimes as a way of getting out of doing what God has told us to do. Oh, God, please bless them. Give them the food they need with that cupboard full. Lewis observed this, he says, it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved or otherwise unattractive. He said, loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Wow. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. And so he says, I love everybody. I have a love for people, yet you do nothing for people. Now, be honest, listen, I cannot stand here today and tell you how this should flesh itself out in your life. The reason I said this is because there's so many needs. And so what you have to do is you have to seek the Lord in that because God has not called you to meet everybody's need because you only have so many resources. Right. You have the world's good. You have so much you can do. But but the idea here is this should characterize our life. And so maybe I'm meeting the need of one of our brothers, and you're meeting a need of a sister and somebody else is meeting another need. Or maybe there's a great need. And we all pull together, and meet that need. You see what I'm saying here? I can't tell you exactly how it fleshes itself out in your life, but it should characterize your life. You see, love for the brethren we find here, beloved, shows that we really are the children of God. It's a proof to us. That yes, I'm a child of God. I love the brethren. And it's a proof, Jesus said to everybody else, that we are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. In my study, I told you three observations of a story and we're done. Here's the story. In my study this past week, I, I, I ran across a story about a derelict woman out in the street. And a Salvation Army worker comes and begins to talk with this woman. And, and the worker invited the woman to go with her to the chapel where she could receive help. The worker kept saying, repeating over and over, God loves you and we love you. God loves you and we love you. But that poor derelict woman would not budge. It wasn't until the Salvation Army worker bent down, kissed the woman on the cheek, wrapped her in her arms, that the derelict woman began to weep and sob and agreed to go to the chapel to get help. Later, here's what she said. said and I quote you told me God loved me but it wasn't until you showed me that God loved me that I wanted to be saved you see we can talk and talk and talk until we're blue in the face but we need to show that love in a practical active way see we should love one another and by the way that love should extend beyond the walls of this church. We're loving one another, but we're also called to what? To go to a desperate, needy world of lost, dying sinners and share with them the truth that God loves you and we love you and show it in action. In fact, to remind them that God loves you so much. He died for you. He shed his blood for you and he rose again for you. And you can be saved. He showed the ultimate love. He's a picture of what love is all about. And so I say in closing this morning, beloved, as the scripture does, may our love not just be in word or tongue, but may it be in deed and in truth. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, you've spoken to my heart today. And I pray your Holy Spirit is speaking to other hearts as well. And Lord, I pray that you would have your will and way in this congregation. You've shown us in your word what love does not look like. And then you've held up the grand example. This is love. The Lord Jesus Christ. May our love be a sacrificial, practical, active love. I pray for wisdom, Lord, that you would help us individually to know exactly who it is you have for us to minister to those needs. And then, Lord, as a corporate body of believers, you would help us to have wisdom and ministry to the needs of others. May we be people who love one another, not just in word, not just in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And now, Lord, I pray as we have this closing time of invitation song. If there's anyone here has never experienced your love for themselves. They've never turned from their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray your Holy Spirit to work in their life this for a moment. And as we're singing this song, you would bring them. And allow us to take a Bible and share Christ with them and lead them to the cross. And then I pray for believers here today. That you've spoken to their heart. Would you guide them and would you help them be submissive to your guidance? Bring them according to your will as well. We love you and praise you and thank you for this time what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning, number 547. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous. How wonderful am my song shall ever be. Friend, if you don't know the Lord Jesus today, I would invite you, As I'm, I'll be standing right down here, just come take me by the hand and tell me you'd like to meet Christ. I'll simply put you as someone who loves you, loves Jesus. They'll sit down with a Bible and share Christ with you. That's all we're going to do is lead you to the cross as best as we can. with God helping us. And then, believer, the altar is open today. If the Lord spoke into your heart, would you come as we stand and sing 547? I stand amazed in the prayer. of the